This morning's reading comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 1 to 11. It can be found on page 1119 of the Church Bibles. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of our God stands forever. You who bring good tidings to Zion... Go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much, Mo. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word which sets out your precious promises. Thank you that you love and care for all your people and that you have paid for our sin through the death of the Lord Jesus on the cross. Give us soft hearts to hear your word, to receive it, and to take action. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we've got a massive treat in store as we dig into this purple passage in Isaiah. Uh, there's just so much to enjoy, to feast upon, and to be encouraged in this passage today. So let's get cracking. No, no further delay. Let's get straight in. But I, want to do, I do want to start by walking through the context of today's passage. The context is really, really important. And it'd be helpful if you've got that passage in your Bible, if you've got a Bible open, if, if you have it open at page 119, it'd be helpful to be able to look across to the previous chapter. After that, I'm going to look at today's passage in a bit of detail. I'm going to break it down into its component parts, 
Uh, and there are different points to note from each of the voices, each of the parts of the passage. I think it will help us to make sense of the prophet's message if we look through the passage and see how it's structured. Then I'm going to think about our response to the words we've heard from God. What do we need to do? How should we respond to God's word? So let's get cracking and start with the context. If you could just look across with me at the other page uh, to Isaiah 39, you'll see that the event described immediately before this passage, straight before it, is the visit of Babylonian envoys to Jerusalem, coming to wish King Hezekiah well following his recovery from a serious illness. If you read through that chapter, it seems blindingly obvious to everyone that it, the envoys are scouts and they're going to suss out the kingdom of Judah. They're going to see what resources are available. They're going to see what its military strength is like. Of course, Hezekiah welcomes these envoys, and he opens, with he opens, welcomes with open arms, he shows them everything. Riches, resources, armory, all his treasures. Perhaps as we, as we read about this, an analogous thing might be President Zelensky in Kyiv Three years before February 21 or whatever it was, welcomes Russian envoys and, and he shows them the resources and the military assets at his disposal. Is that wise? What about Neville Chamberlain coming back from uh, Munich and proclaiming peace in our time and swallowing the assurances of good behavior and of honorable intentions? Well, of course, the prophet Isaiah is under no is such illusions about these envoys. He asks King Hezekiah some questions, perhaps to invite him to reflect on the foolishness of his actions and plant a small seed in his mind that maybe Hezekiah has got a second crisis on the way. Hezekiah just answers the questions, and then the prophet announces the devastating news that the kingdom of Judah is going to be conquered by the Babylonians. And not only that, the royal family of, of uh, Jerusalem there will serve as eunuchs in the Babylonian palace. It's disaster. It's calamity. It's potentially the extinction of the royal line of, of David. Catastrophe. But look at Hezekiah's response right at the end there. Peace and security in my lifetime, says he. Not my problem. Others will need to deal with it, uh, he's thinking. So it's very interesting, isn't it, that short-termism and not being able to think ahead is not a new phenomenon. The COVID inquiry, flip-flopping all around that we've been hearing about with Boris Johnson, WhatsApp messages, Patrick Valance's personal notes, that's not new. This flip-flopping and moving around, it's not new. Here's Hezekiah, 700 BC, initially trusting God against the Assyrians and firmly believing in God, now he just accepts conquest by the Babylonians without a murmur. As long as it's after my death, not my problem. Plus ça change, as perhaps the French would say, but let's not get into Brexit. <laughs> so, Isaiah has just announced this total disaster for Israel. Exile to Babylon, loss of all sovereignty, every treasure that's stored up in the treasuries in Judah is going to end up in Babylon, members of the royal family are going to become slaves in Babylon, and in the face of this, there's this amazing passage. Fantastic contrast, isn't it? Disaster has struck, and yet now the prophet immediately, in the next breath, is declaring comfort and peace to God's people. 
the political leaders may have completely blown it. But God's promises are secure and reliable. They will not be set aside or adversely affected by the political shenanigans in the world of men. So let's look at at the structure of today's passage. There's the introduction, and that acts a bit like an executive summary to it. It's in verses 1 and 2, and I've suggested a title for those two verses of comfort for God's people. After that, we've got these three voices. Voice number one announces God coming to all people. Voice number two teaches us about God's unchanging word. And voice number three declares God's power and his love for his people. So let's go through each of those in turn uh, and take a look and and see a a bit about the detail there. So firstly, comfort for God's people. These two verses are densely packed with meaning and impact on God's people. The Lord God announces comfort to his people. And it's repeated comfort, comfort twice And that repetition is for emphasis. It's true and reliable comfort from God, which we're talking about here. And then the Lord speaks tenderly to his people and announces that their time of hard service or duress has ended. He announces that his people's sin has been paid for, that the Lord's hand, it's his gracious hand, has provided all that is necessary to forgive his people's sin. And the use of double in this passage has the idea of folding. So you've got one and the other, and the sin is folded in. It's complete provision for God's people. It's completely enclosed and folded over, extinguishing it completely, covering it over, paying for it completely. The provision of God's grace is total and conclusive. It deals with his people's sin. Now, at the time of writing, it would have been unclear how this was going to happen. How does the Lord himself provide payment for the sin of his people? How can a just and righteous God completely deal with and pay for the sin of his people? Of course, this side of the coming of Jesus, we know that the answer is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He came to take away our sins, to bear the consequences of them. His death on the cross completely and perfectly deals with the penalty which we deserved. The precious blood of Jesus takes away the sin of the world. And we know that however bad our sin and wrongdoing is, that precious life of the Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, more than pays for the death we should have died. The punishment for our sin was was properly ours, And yet we don't have to endure it because Jesus' love for us and giving of himself for each one of us. So here we are around 700 years before the birth of Jesus hearing from the prophet Isaiah what the Lord God, the king of all creation and the sustainer of everything is going to do about our sin. Coming immediately after this crushing blow of the announcement of the exodus to Babylon and the complete conquest of Judah, this is fantastic and welcome news. Even now, 2,000 years after Jesus' birth, I hope you can feel the impact of these words, the meaning of this fantastic 
and gracious provision by God for our most urgent need, which is for the forgiveness of our sin and our rebellion and wrongdoing. So that's just the first two verses of the introduction. Let's get into the rest of it. Verse, voice one is God comes to all people. Now, this voice is a bit like a heavenly hold the date. Um, have you ever, um, uh, you've probably received them. Important event is coming up, a wedding, significant anniversary, big party, baptism, and you get a card or an email that says, hold the date. Please keep this date free. We're going to be holding an event and you're invited. Well, this voice acts in a similar way. A very, very, very significant event is coming up. You may live in a wilderness. You may look around the world and think everything is topsy-turvy. It's a complete mess. Chaos reigns. But God himself is coming. So save the day. The mess is going to be cleared away. All obstacles are going to be removed. There are going to be no delays or hitches as God himself comes to his people. His glory is revealed and note everyone, not just God's people, everyone is going to see that together. And just in case you were wondering about how certain that announcement is and how definite that save the date for the event is, the prophet underlines the fact by confirming that the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. This is a really exciting part of the passage. How often have we heard or spoken to someone and they've said something like, well, why doesn't God just show himself? Or, I would only believe in God if there was enough evidence. Here is the announcement that God is coming to his people. Here is the announcement that God's glory will be revealed and everyone is going to be able to see it together. Now, it's no accident that this passage is quoted in all four of the Gospels. Matthew 3, Mark 1, Luke 3, John 1. It's quoted in all four of the Gospels. The Gospel writers were very clear. This passage in Isaiah refers to the coming of the Lord Jesus. He is God, revealing his glory among us, visible to everyone as he comes to make that payment for our sin which we read, read, uh, read about in the introduction. So that's voice one. Let's get into voice two. God's unchanging word. This second voice underlines the contrast between the frail, unreliable, and temporary people and the reliable, faithful, and eternal God. The speaker uses this metaphor of grass. People are like grass and the flowers of the field. They can look nice for a while, but when God's breath, his Holy Spirit, blows on them, they fade and they fail. They wither and they fall. They're not permanent. They're not reliable. In contrast, God's word endures forever. It is permanent. It is reliable. God always delivers on his promises the same word which spoke all things into being can be relied upon. It endures forever. I don't know about you, but as I was preparing, it reminded me of the beginning of John's gospel, where we read that God's powerful word is personified in Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the word. 
and the word was God, with God, and the word was God. The, he is the word, the Lord Jesus is the word, made flesh. The eternal God come to heal us and to save us. Okay, let's look at voice three. God's power and love. The third voice announces good news to all God's people. It's great news. So there's no need to be afraid or to be shy. The good news is to be shouted out from on high. It's to be proclaimed. It's to be celebrated by everyone. God reveals himself. God comes in sovereign power, and he comes to rule with his mighty arm. Better yet, he brings his recompense with him. That's his flock, the people of God who hear his voice and are called by his name. Just look down at those verses, how tenderly and how carefully the Lord God deals with his people. Martin picked it up at the introduction there. The Lord God is the shepherd, and we are the sheep. He looks after us and ensures that we're well provided for. Any who are vulnerable or weak, he gathers in his arms and carries close to his heart. Any who have young or special needs, he leads gently and carefully. It's an amazing picture of love and consideration, the tenderness and concern. Just jump out from the text, don't they? The sovereign Lord of heaven and earth looks out for all his people with a particular heart for those of us who are vulnerable or who have special needs. It's an amazing passage. It's a purple passage, it really is, full of great news, the wonderful prospect of the Lord God dwelling with his people, looking after them. But of course, that begs the question, doesn't it? What now? How should we respond? Well, I think that that depends on where we stand. Broadly, there are two alternatives. You may be here sitting down and thinking, wow, this, is, this good news is completely fresh to me. You may have been Joseph or Mary in your nativity play at school. You may have sung the carols. You may have been a shepherd or something over and over, but you never really twigged what it's all about. If that is you, I trust that your heart is burning now as you really understand what this is all about. And there is a choice to make. This news is an invitation for you to consider whether to join God's people and come to know him and enjoy that care that we've just heard described so beautifully or keep a distance, stay separate, to fend for yourself. Now, our natural tendency is to rely on ourselves. We don't appreciate being dependent on anyone else. It's a particularly a man thing. And we're particularly resistant to coming to God in humility and admitting that we've gone the wrong way. We've rejected God's way. And we've done just as we please. Our proud hearts often tell us we can make our own way in life. We're competent adults. And we'll work it out. We've got this. We'll deal with this. But the reality is that we live in a rebellious world. It's gone so far away from the Lord God, its creator. It's in very serious trouble. Quick look at the newspapers will show you the kind of mess we're all in. War, famine, inhumanity, cost of living crisis, inability to cope, mental illness, disease. 
the list goes on. If we are honest about ourselves, we too are rebels. We've done what we think is good in our own eyes, and we've ignored what is good in God's eyes. So how should we respond? Well, if that's you, then the first thing to acknowledge is that you need help. Uh, the first step is to accept that you're a rebel and a sinner and to turn away from that. And that's called repentance. Then you should put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to rescue you. He came to save you. He died and he rose again so that you can have life and have it to the full. He's the one who paid for our sins through his death on the cross. We just need to invite him to be the Lord of our lives. Now, a good way to start that process would be uh, joining the Alpha course, uh, which will be taking place early next year. Uh, please take a look on our website. Speak to me, speak to Tom, uh, a friend. Uh, we'd be delighted to welcome you to the course. Uh, do sign up yourself. Bring a friend. And bring all your tough questions and enjoy just getting to know this beautiful creator and savior that we've heard described in today's passage. Now, the other alternative, I mentioned people who whom this is news. The other alternative, this is not news. I've heard this all before. Now, if that's you, then your response should be to rejoice and to be encouraged this Christmas and into 2024. Let's enjoy that amazing care from God, from the Lord God on his provision for us. Let's respond to his love and be salt and light in the communities where he's placed us. I think it's easy for us who, who know the Lord God to look around at the mess and the chaos in our world today and to be gloomy or to be sad. It's easy to try to withdraw, pull up the drawbridge, look on the situation from our lofty position of superiority and comfort. But that's not what the Lord Jesus did. And it's not what he calls us to do. He engaged with the messiness in the world. He shared the gospel with those who are hurting, with those who are confused, with those who are vulnerable. Let's rejoice in the provision which God has made for us and in his love for us. But let's also hold out this love to others. Let's be ready to give a reason for the hope we have. But let's do this with gentleness and respect. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word which leads us into all truth. Thank you for your provision for your people and your heart that all will turn to you and be saved. We pray that you will lead those who have learned about your love for them today for the first time into a permanent relationship with you. Please soften each person's heart, bless each one, and draw them into your presence. Thank you that we can rejoice this Christmas time in the gracious provision of all we need through the Lord Jesus. Show us how to be salt and light to those around us so that many more will come to know and love the Lord Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen.